Welcome to Recruitment News Australia, your weekly dose of news and issues relevant to the Australian recruitment industry. We will also tackle hot topics in our question of the week, answering recruitment-related questions from our listeners. Join us every Tuesday on Recruitment News Australia with Ross and Adele. Adele, this is issue one. Let's, uh, let's tell the people how Recruitment News Australia came to be. Well, it was an idea, Ross, that we came together with at the RCSA conference in Hobart last year over a coffee in one of the breakout sessions. We came up with the idea of providing a central news source of information for the industry. So what we'll be doing each week is curating sources of different news from across our industry in Australia and overseas and providing all of that information in one location for you on this podcast. We'll also be addressing common issues and relevant content to the industry and in our hopes creating a bit of a community and a learning platform for our listeners. And my name's Adele Last. I've been working 26 years in the recruitment sector for a range of small private and larger publicly listed recruitment agencies. I worked as a GM and managed recruitment businesses before starting my own company three years ago involved in creating a pathways program including training for new recruiters coming into our industry. Ignite Chairman Gary Sladden has announced the appointment of the fifth CEO of his tenure after the news of incumbent CEO Tim Moran's departure. Former Chandler McLeod CEO Cameron Judson will move from a non-executive director position to CEO effective immediately. Since he departed Chandler McLeod in mid-2015, Judson has had a succession of shortish tenure CEO and board roles none of which have been in the recruitment sector until he joined the Ignite board last March. The real pain for the departing CEO isn't losing his job, it's the substantial hit Moran has taken to his personal wealth. In March 2022, he purchased just over 8 million shares in Ignite at 18 cents a share at a cost of nearly $1.5 million. He was instantly the third largest holder of Ignite shares. Today, Tim Moran's stake in Ignite is worth just $583,000. The company's share price peaked at $3.84 on the first day of December in 1999, when it was still known as Candle. The share price hasn't been above 30 cents for well over a decade, and it was last above $1 in 2009. Moran's last day at Ignite is officially Friday the 31st of March. Industry news service Shortlist last week reported concerns about the potential breach of consumer laws by Seek-owned recruiter review site, Sourcer. The functionality in question is the option on the Sourcer platform that allows users to add to their Sourcer profile pre-existing customer testimonials from other sites, such as Google or LinkedIn. The specific concerns being, when recruiters upload historical reviews to Sourcer, they are dated at the time of the upload, not the time of the original review. The functionality that allows a star rating and a heading to be added to the third party review when such a star rating or heading is not a feature of the original third party review. These three features available to sources customers appear to unambiguously mislead consumers based on the following general advice offered by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission spokesperson quoted in the shortlist article. 
Review platforms may mislead consumers in editing and publishing reviews on third-party websites. This may occur through a platform adding its own star rating to a consumer review, creating a new headline for that review, or changing the date of a review so that it is more current. According to the spokesperson, platforms that engage in this sort of conduct risk misleading consumers and breaching Australian consumer law. Shortlist article included responses from both Saucer and Seek, neither of which specifically addressed the three areas of concern raised by Shortlist. In January 2023, the seasonally adjusted labour market results showed a slight decline in the key measures except for jobs listed on the internet. Total employment decreased by 11,300 people to 13.72 million. Full-time employment decreased by 43,300, while part-time employment increased by 31,800 people. The participation rate decreased from 66.6% to 66.5%. The unemployment rate increased from 35 to 3.7%. The total number of unemployed people rose by 21,900 to 523,200 people. After the past two months of slight decline, job vacancies listed on the internet rose by 2% on the December figure, and this represents a 4.5% rise on the January 2022 figure. Tasmania reported the largest percentage rise of more than 9%, followed by South Australia and Queensland at 6.7%, and 3.9% respectively. Seek also reported increased advert volumes. In January, month-on-month -month job ads rose for the first time since May of 2022, up by 2.8%. Applications per job ad increased by 9.2% in December. ASX listed IT recruiter High Tech Group reported revenue for the six months ended 31 December 2022 of $40.7 million a year-on-year -year increase of 37%. Gross profit climbed 21% to 4.9 million, and EBITDA rose 10% to 3.2 million. Japan-based staffing firm Outsourcing, owner of local brands Clix, Hoban, Bluefin, PM Partners, Jigsaw, and Horizon One, reported revenue for the full year ended 31 December 2022 of 5.18 billion US dollars, an increase of 21.2% when compared to the previous year, although operating profit declined by 8.1%. ASX listed people in reported revenue for the six months ended 31 December 2022 of $597 million, a year-on-year -year increase of 89%. Existing operations reported growth of 21.3%. Normalised EBITDA rose 51% to $32.5 million, and People In reaffirmed its 2023 financial year earnings guidance of $62 million EBITDA. Seek's December 2022 half-year update reported the following. Net profit after tax of $135 million, up 10%. Seek ANZ revenue, $455 million, up 19%. And Seek ANZ EBITDA. 276 million, up 8%. Add volumes by buyer category saw agencies report 22% market share down from the 46% market share of total ad volume reported in 2019. Hayes July to December 2022 half year results 
So Hayes ANZ net fees reportedly down 1%. Hayes ANZ operating profit was down 36% to 31 million. Perm net fees up 7% and temp net margin down 6%. Hayes ANZ consultant headcount was down 2% for the six months to 1,110 consultants. Western Australia is trying to poach British workers by tempting them with promises of higher salaries and lower bills in contrast to the UK, where inflation, strikes and a cost of living crisis have dominated the winter months. We're here to steal your workers by offering them a better life in one of the most beautiful places on the planet, WA Police and Public Safety Minister Paul Papalia will reportedly say in a new campaign. Mr Papalia will lead a delegation to London and other cities later this month, which will be focused on filling 31,000 vacancies with skilled workers, including mechanics, builders, plumbers, dentists, police officers and hospitality workers. Brits under the age of 35 will be able to travel and work in Australia more freely under the terms of the agreement struck in 2021, one of the UK's first post-Brexit trade deals. As part of the recruitment drive, WA officials have produced comparative data showing median Australian salaries are higher than their UK equivalent, as well as promoting Perth as having nearly an average of nine hours of sunshine a day. Proximity to the beach, toll-free roads, low-cost public transport and better traffic are also listed as benefits. New Zealand's December 2022 quarter produced largely stable labour market results, according to Statistics New Zealand. Total employment rose quarter on quarter by 0.2% to 2.855 million workers. The unemployment rate rose slightly from 3.3% to 3.4%. The labour force participation rate remained at 71.7%. Average ordinary time earnings rose 7.2% over the year to reach $38.19 per hour. Last week, New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins announced the adult minimum wage will be rising by $1.50 an hour to $22.70 per hour beginning 1 April. And last week, the ABC reported the Victorian government is being urged to investigate the City of Greater Geelong's recruitment of high-paid staff amid accusations of nepotism and the risk of soft corruption. Financial documents have revealed senior officers' salaries have increased dramatically. In 2020, 37 staff earned more than $150,000 per year, and the following year this number rose by 43%. The city is already under investigation over its recruitment of a new CEO after the state's chief municipal inspector raised concerns the transparency and integrity of the process might have been compromised. Geelong Council was sacked in 2016 following a three-month investigation that found a deep-seated culture of bullying across the organisation, along with a host of further governance concerns. So our question of the week this week is about the four-day work week in recruitment. Is this realistic, Ross? I think yes, Adele. Firstly, agencies are making it work. I know it's a fairly small sample size at the moment, but there's been some very positive feedback from companies that are going down that path. Secondly, I think this is a critical step in potentially addressing the turnover issue we have in our industry. Uh, 
uh, turnover rates between 35 and 45% per annum in our industry, there's a lot of burnout. And that does concern me. And I think in terms of the well-being of people and longevity in our in industry, four days a week work and three days rest could um, be very helpful in that regard. Related to that, of course, is making our industry more family friendly. People with um, parental or caring responsibilities, I think are more inclined to be attracted to or stay in our industry because they're working four days and having three days off, or potentially even scaling back if they see that the industry is sympathetic and actively promoting a four-day week, then people who can only work or only want to work, say, three days a week or even two days a week, I think are more encouraged to enter the industry or potentially stay in the industry. And the third point is, frankly, I think it will help agencies be more uh, brutal about the work that they're going to take on and not take on. If you are working four days, not five, you really can't afford to take on too many jobs where there's a low probability of filling that job. And I do think this is a big factor causing burnout in our industry. Many people doing too much work on assignments they ultimately do not get paid for. So I do think it will help people be uh, a lot more commercial about things that they're working on and to maximise the time they're spending on the assignments that they believe they have the highest likelihood of filling. Interesting points, Ross. I have some real concerns, so I'm going to take the more negative response to this one and say I'm really not sure it is realistic in recruitment because we are very client directed in the way we work. You know, it's a very service oriented industry and we need to be able to match our client needs when they occur. So I, I'm struggle with, I struggle with the idea of how a very service oriented client directed industry is going to be able to say to a client, I'm not available at that time, whether that means because the business is closed um, on the fifth day or the, can the rec recruiter is not available and someone else has to jump in. And as we know, sometimes clients don't want to deal with a different contact. So that's my first point. The next one I'm concerned about is managing time in this process. It takes a very sophisticated time management process to be able to squeeze five days work into four days. And to be perfectly frank, I just see a lack of discipline in the industry being able to do that. I'm not sure that people understand what it takes to be able to gain those efficiencies, I suppose, in the way we work and squeeze the five days into four. So that's my second concern. And then my third one comes from my days as a temp recruiter of just understanding how fickle the temp client can be. You know, they want to speak to you that day. They want to be able to get to you, at, you know, in, with the sense of urgency and they want a response straight away. So my concern is what happens when they can't get you and they need to speak to a colleague who they don't know or don't don't feel they, you know, understand their work environment or their needs or your office is closed you know will they simply go elsewhere you know how will it work with your temp business will you lose clients hmm. okay well let's finish with some recommendations or things to consider because if you are an owner thinking about this then let's offer you something all right so firstly i would recommend that you start with a pilot program, maybe three or six months, because if you give something, it's very hard to take it back. 
Whereas if you say to your team, it's a pilot program, it needs to work, we have a three month time frame to make it work or a six month time frame, it I think it generates mutual responsibility. The job of the owner or the leaders of the business to make it work. Secondly, if you are a business that has both uh, temporary and permanent recruitment, there may need to be some slight differences because of the nature of uh, temporary or labour hire or contract work where jobs can come in and be lost on the same day and that's um, a far uh, less frequent occurrence in permanent recruitment. So you may just need to consider that there should be or might need to be tweaks in the difference between those divisions. Adele, what about others? Yeah, I think also clarity on the details of things like which days, Ross. So, you know, how is it going to work in terms of the day off? Is it a rotating system? Is it the same day for each person each week? Um, how will things like sick leave be managed? Are people going to be able to switch days if they need to, if they're not well, those kind of things. So I think some real clarity around the details. You need to sit down as a business owner with your leaders and work those kind of details out so that you've covered every scenario, as well as the expectations of the day off because that's another area I think that could be an area of concern is what happens on that fifth day? What is the expectation from the business to the employee? Are you expecting that they have their phone on and take a call? Can they turn it off? Do they need to log in if something urgent happens and then what what occurs for that? Do they get that time back in lieu or you know what actually happens on the fifth day? So clarity on details, managing expectations on the fifth day. And then my final bit of advice to somebody thinking about this as an option would be to make sure you understand your reasons for doing it, why you're introducing this into your business, and make sure you've got some really key metrics in place so that you can measure the um, things like job fill rate and speed to make sure that you know you can see that it's working you may also be measuring things like morale and and staff turnover and lack thereof so there should be both positive um, hopefully mostly positive um, more than negative impacts but you want to make sure that you are measuring them either way welcome to the recruitment news australia podcast with ross clannan and adele last giving you your dose of recruitment news and information that's a wrap. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, Google, Apple, Spotify, or on our website.